We're in the second week of Transformed. We began last week talking about the whole thing of being transformed in our spiritual lives. And some people think that's the most important thing. But I want to tell you that all seven of these things we're talking about are equally important. Because God is not just concerned with you spiritually, even though that's a big part of it. He's concerned with every part of our lives. Today we're going to talk about a second area. Uh, and, and I want to tell you that today's message has caused me more stress in preparing this than probably any message I've done in a long time. Not because I don't have information, it's because I got too much. Because what I'm talking about today, I have very strong opinions of in regards to how we deal with our health. Um, and, and strong opinions not only because of my own, my own um, abilities to understand things, but also because, because I've lived for the last uh, 30 years in a household where my wife is passionate about uh, helping people to be healthy. Uh, she has a degree in education, uh, almost a master's degree, and she taught for 18 years in Virginia, 17, 18 years in Virginia. She's taught here as a sub and taught here as a tutor, and she does that. But her real passion is not teaching school. Her real passion is helping people to be healthy. And so because of some health issues that we had back when, we, when I was actually in grad, grad school and, and, she, and we had first gotten married, she began to study um, health and nutrition. My wife would probably tell you that she's probably studied five times more about healthy nutrition than she has about her education degree. So she probably could have several doctorates in it by now if she actually had gotten the degrees and gone through the whole process. But she's been doing it on her own. And so I live that. And so I, I get kind of secondhand. You know how you get secondhand smoke? You know, if you're in a room with somebody smoking? I get secondhand information from my wife who actually not just, she doesn't read pop stuff. She actually went to one of her, years ago, went to one of her cousins who was a nutritionist and got a master's degree from Florida State and um, started talking with her. And she kind of directed her early on and she stayed on that path for years and years and years. So I have some pretty strong opinions that, that health is important to God uh, and that our bodies and how we treat them is important. So I'm thinking, man, what can, how can I narrow this down today? That's the stress I've had because I'll probably make everybody mad because, uh, because I, think there is, I think you are responsible for your health. Not your doctor, not anybody else. You are responsible for your health. And so you need, doctors are good to have as, as people who help us, but they're not responsible for your health. God is, and, and then this week in your small group, if you, as you do the stuff that Rick Warren's going to be talking to you about, he's going to be talking about how, how our health is, is in, in a sense, a spiritual, uh, being healthy is a spiritual discipline. That God is, God says that, you know, our bodies are a temple. And what we do with our bodies is an act of worship back to God. So, saying all of that, and realize that we live in America where most of us are addicts. Did you know that? That most of us are addicts? We're sugar addicts. My, my daughter is, is an addiction recovery counselor. She was for many years. She, she actually was a lead counselor over at Proctor for a long time in addiction recovery. And she told me this. She said, sugar is more addictive than cocaine. You're going, really? Yes. That's why you can't get rid of it. And that's why everybody wants to add sugar into everything. Now, we're not, we're not going to talk about that today. I just thought I'd throw that out because it's important information to know. But uh, I realize we live in this world where that's, that's true. But stress is, is a second thing. Stress, you know, it's not only what you eat and how you exercise that helps you to be healthy. Yeah, I mean, it's important to eat the right things. But let me tell you something else that's important in regard to health. It's what's eating you. 
We're going to talk about stress today, and God wants us to control because the studies after study has shown that stress is simply a threat to our lives, real or perceived. Whenever your body feels threatened by something, emotional, physical, spiritual, uh, mental, the, the threat stress response that takes place in your body uh, is, is a natural thing. Uh, when you have, have stress in your body, your blood pressure goes up, your pulse quickens, your adrenaline shoots into your body, and all kind of physiological things happen. But let me tell you, that's not necessarily bad in the right situations. If you're standing in the middle of a road and a truck's coming at you, it's good to have a stress response. Because at that point, your adrenaline will, will shoot up, your blood pressure will quicken, and you will run. Is that a good thing? Yeah, it is. If you didn't think it was a good thing, come for some counseling. You know, I mean, yeah, you want to get out in front of a truck, you know, it's coming down the road. That's a good stress response. But the problem is not that kind of stress in our life. The problem is that it's what is called chronic stress. And chronic stress is what most of us in America live under and live in. Many, if not most of us, are living under chronic stress. We're going, and we're going to deal with that today because hundreds and hundreds of studies Scientific and medical studies have shown that chronic stress in your life is dangerous and devastating to your physical health. It's damaging to your brain and to always be in chronic stress, and it's deadly to your body. Stress, chronic stress can kill you. So how do we deal with that in a culture? And let, me, let me just, first of all, start off today by talking about some of the common sources of stress that we find in America today. So seven, let me just give you seven common sources of stress today. And then we're going to talk about a passage of Scripture. Last week we talked about one of the most famous Scriptures, one of the most famous parables in the Bible, the parable of the prodigal son. We talked about that in regard to how God wants us to grow and, and be closer to Him. But today we're talking about this whole deal of how to deal with this physical thing called stress. And we're going to look at one of the most famous psalms, probably the most famous psalm. And guess which one it is? It is number 23. Okay, so if you have your Bibles in whatever form you have, you might want to turn to that. In just a few moments, we're going to get into God's Word and look at that. But first, let me share with you seven major sources of stress and why stress has gone up in our culture today. Number one, the number one source of stress is worry. Worry. The reason why worry is number one is because there's a lot more to worry about than there used to be. 20 years ago, did anybody 20 years ago ever worry about identity theft? We never even heard of identity theft 20 years ago. I mean, what is identity theft? Now, we all going like, I got identity theft. I've got my, on my insurance, uh, I have a rider on my insurance thing to cover identity theft. So if so somebody, you know, steals my identity, I don't have to go spend the rest of my life trying to get my identity back, even though I know who I am. But, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, how many of us 20 years ago worried about losing our cell phone? Cell phones? I was thinking back when my kids were younger. My, ki my daughter, uh, who's 33 now, she, uh, I don't think she had a cell phone when she first started driving because they were so new. They were so like, they were like those giant ones too. You know, you carried around, looked like, looked like, you know, giant ones that looked like you're carrying a case or something, you know? And she didn't want to do that. That was not cool. But I mean, how many of us now, I mean, we have, always have cell phones. You know, child comes out of a womb, go, yes, daddy. You know, and talks right away. You know, we, we think, you know, everybody has to have a cell phone, and we have all our information on there, and we're going, oh, and, and we freak out. We lose those type of things, and we have a lot more to lose today. There's a lot of things we worry about today, you know, that our parents didn't have to worry about because there are new worries in an increasingly complex world. So worry is number one. Number two, another major source of stress is hurry. 
Not only worry, but hurry. Hurry comes from the increasing pace in our life. Would you agree that it seems like the world is going faster and faster? It's really not. It's still rotating at the same pace. There's still 24 hours in every day. Maybe slightly, I don't know if those scientific ones are slightly different because of the leap year thing. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there's the same amount of time, but it seems like everything is going faster and faster. We live in this microwave, nanosecond world where everybody wants it uh, yesterday or now or immediately, and, and that creates stress in our life. Speed increase, creates stress. Number three, another uh, source of stress in our world today that's different than it used to be is crowds. Crowds. As the world gets more crowded, people are getting more stressed out. The reason why we, is why, uh, it's because we have this thing called urbanization. That is that more and more people are moving to the large cities. You know, life used to be, 100 years ago, life was, was much more rural in America. Do you know now that 83% of all Americans live in a large city? 83%. I'm going like, whoa. You know that in 1800, there was only one city in the whole world that had one million people in it? That was the city of London. Now, there are over 500 cities in the world that have over a million people. And there's thousands and thousands that have half a million people. And there are even now what we call megacities like Mumbai, India, which has... 32 million people, at least two, two years ago. Tokyo, which has 36 million people. And Mexico City, which has 35 million people. These are enormous cities. And we think Chicago's big. It's just little compared to those cities. It's only maybe, a, I mean, it's like, what, 7, 8 million people now in the metropolitan area of Chicago, third largest city in America. But in these huge cities, these huge cities, you can go block after block after block after block and mile after mile after now and never see a blade of grass or a piece of, or any kind of dirt because everything's been paved over or concreted over because of this urbanization. And this crowding, this urbanness creates additional stress in our lives. And, and it also causes something called traffic stress. Traffic stress. You know that a, a, I read a study that said that, in se, that, that it, just taking the 75 largest cities in America last year, just the 75 largest that Americans wasted in those 75 cities, over 4 billion hours waiting in traffic jams. And they wasted over 6 billion gallons of gasoline just stuck in traffic. It creates stress, it creates inefficiency. This whole thing in our world is crazy, but it creates stress. Another thing, the fourth modern stress is something that I call multiple choice. We actually think that the more choices you have in life, the more freeing it is, more libera liberating, but actually it's more paralyzing because it creates indecision. I mean, years ago, a few years ago when I grew up, I remember going down, I remember as a kid, this shows how old I am, I'm ancient, uh, walking down the road. From a, a block down the street from my house, it was a little, little general store. I lived in a town. I didn't live in a country. I lived in a town, a place called Salem, Virginia. It's about the size of East Peoria now. And I remember walking down the road growing up as a kid, going to this little general store, and you had a few things there. Remember, anybody remember those things? You know, and like you went to buy toothpaste. What did you have? You had two choices, minty or non-minty. You know, that's about it. 
Now you go to the grocery store and you have a whole aisle for just toothpaste or something, you know? And it's like 500, I don't know how many there is actually, I didn't count them. But there's like, there's like at least 60 different types of toothpaste. And so we look at them when we become numb because we don't know what to choose. Then the other day I was getting my oil changed over at Meineke down on the corner of, 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 uh, of War, uh, War Memorial in, in uh, Prospect. Uh, and, uh, and I was there and I, saw, I said, told the guy, Wes, I've known him for years. And I said, hey, Wes, I said, uh, I'm going to go over here to Starbucks and get me, some, get me a cup of coffee. I hadn't been to Starbucks in a long time because I just refused to get in long lines and crazy people and all the foo-foo drinks. But anyway... I went there, and I'm going in to get a, and, and I don't know how to speak the language in Starbucks, I figured out. <laughs> I said, can I have kind of a medium, you mean, and she said whatever it is they call it, like grande, vente, goo goo ve, I don't know what it was, but she has their own language there, and then she asked, do you want this, and she goes to go to this list, and it was like 50 different things that she, just girl just, and I'm going, oh my gosh, I just want a cup of coffee. You know what I did? I walked out without getting any coffee. Because I was so confused. I walked across the street to McDonald's and, and got me a cup of McDonald's coffee, which I love just perfect. It was perfectly fine. It cost about a third of what it cost at, at, at Starbucks. Now, I'm not putting down Starbucks if you like to go there, but <laughs> you like to spend five bucks for a cup of coffee. That's, that's up to you. But anyway, so this whole thing of, of multiple choice drives us crazy today. It, it, it really is. It's, it's a problem that stresses us out. You can see how stressed I was just going, to, going there, you know. Another st stressor in our world is loss of privacy. Actually, any loss is stressful, but in the modern world, the loss of privacy, and I'm talking about the ability to kind of, you know, you, everybody kind of knows everything about you now. I mean, anytime you go to a store, what do they always ask you for? Your phone number or something. Or you get online and you, and you order something, and you all of a sudden start getting all these emails from everybody. You know why? It's kind of like the, everybody wants to track you now, not just government, but, but, but stores. And so, you know, it's kind of like they want to know when you're, you know, when you're, uh, uh, you know, when you start off with how many, you know, you're buying pampers. They're trying to track you so they know when you have to switch over to de Depends. You know, and so you, they'll know, you know, what the, what the stock in the stores and where people are. You know, it's kind of like we lose this loss of privacy. Everything about us is known in some ways because of this, this whole technology deal. A sixth stressor is pluralism. Pluralism. Pluralism, what is that? Pluralism is this. We now live in a world where the people around us have very different beliefs, convictions, lifestyles, cultures, and values than we ever had before. A hundred years ago in America, it was pretty much a homogeneous place. Most of you probably grew up in areas where pretty much everybody was kind of like you, or at least somewhat like you, in values. That's not true anymore. Technology has shrunk the globe, and we're now a melt. Some people call it a melting pot. <laughs> I call it a, a, I, I, I call it, it's more like a stew. You know, where everything's thrown in together, it's kind of, it's kind of heats up. And people who live all around you and work around you have different beliefs than you do, different values than you do, different cultural values. What does that mean when you do that? It's not necessarily bad. It's just that when you have people with different values, what does it do? It means that there's going to be conflict. Conflict comes from being around people of different, that are different than you. And of course, the media feeds on conflict because, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. And and so it's all we hear about all the time. Conflict, conflict. And it creates this culture of incivility where people are just rude to each other. 
So we have those stressors. And finally, we have the, the final stressor I want to talk about before I look at God's word is the fear of the future. The fear of the future. The what ifs. The fear of the future. So I love what it says in, Pro, in, in Proverbs 14.30. It says, peace of mind makes the body healthy. There is a zillion scriptures that deal with this issue, okay? But I have to choose a, just choose a few today. So peace of mind makes the body healthy. See, health is not only dependent on what you eat, but also on what eats you. So we're going to look at that today. And so I want to look at the antidotes to all these stressors that we just talked about. And they're found in, found in, in Psalm 23. So let's look at seven spiritual habits for reducing stress. Seven spiritual habits for reducing stress because our body is important to God and how we live and, and how healthy we are, we are is important to God. Number one, first habit for reducing stress is this. I need to look to God to meet all my needs. I need to look to God to meet all my needs. Stress comes in our lives so often. Remember, the first stressor was worry. Stress comes when we look to others to meet needs instead of God. And how do you know you're doing that? It's worry. You start worrying about things all the time. It's the first source of stress. And so in Psalm 23, 1, it says what? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, so I have what I need. I have what I need. The problem is that so often in life, we expect our job, our relationships, our money, and I can just go down a whole long list of things to meet our needs, all of our needs. And we know that's not true in life, but we, and so when it doesn't meet our needs, we start worrying. I would say this, the Bible teaches us clearly, never put your security in something you can lose. Never put your security in something you can lose. I love what it says in Romans 8, 32, it says, since God did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us, won't he also surely give us everything else we need? And so the thing we have to understand is your stress would drop dramatically if you realized how much you matter to God. Stress reduction starts with looking to God. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. It says, the sovereign Lord says, only in returning to me, only in looking at God and waiting for me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence, there you will find your strength. It's not, it didn't say you will find your strength in planning and hard work, even though that's all right to plan and have hard work. But it says in, in quietness and confidence in God, looking to God, will you find your strength. See, in a sense, worship is the antidote to worry. Worship is not just singing songs in church. Worship is focusing our attention upon God and putting him in the number one position in our life. So if this being the case... This being the case, if you want to reduce your stress, you need to affirm, I trust God to meet my needs. I trust God to meet my needs. Number two, second antidote for stress is obey God's instruction about rest. Obey God's instructions about rest. Psalm 23, 2a says this, he makes me lie down. Now, the context of this passage is what? It's, it's kind of this uh, view of a shepherd, tending his sheep, the whole deal. And it says, he makes me lie down. God makes me lie down. And it's kind of referring to, and going back to this picture of sheep. You know that sheep are not smart enough on their own to know when they're tired? I was reading some stuff about this. And we're like, really? Yeah, sheep can actually just kind of, they'll never know when to lie down. So the shepherd has to kind of lie down. I don't know what he does. You know, have the dog bark, bite their legs. I don't know what they do to, to get them to, to lie down. But sheep are not smart enough. You ever heard her being dead on your feet? 
Sheep can actually do that. They can actually you know, just be too dumb to lay down and, and to get the rest they need. Now, for us, hopefully we're not that dumb. But the stressor in our life that, that, that where we disobey God's instruction about rest is, is hurry. Think about this. Think about this for a minute with me. God could have made our bodies to not have needed sleep. Is that, how you're, is that big enough for your God? Is that your God big enough to do that? I mean, God doesn't need sleep. We're created in his image, but not perfectly like God, but we are created in his image. But he made us, for some reason, to spend basically one-third of our life sleeping. Why? Because God knows that because we have these physical bodies, our bodies need to be recreated. And so God actually modeled rest in creation. In the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis, when he talks about creation, what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. Did, was God tired? Not the God I know. He didn't have to rest. He, just, he was modeling for us what we need to do. And later on, he talks about it. See, the Bible is filled with directions about the value of rest for our bodies. The fact is, and I can look at a lot of passages, but I don't have to look at a lot of passages. I only need to look at one passage to prove to you that rest is hugely important to God. You know that God included the whole, a commandment on rest in this top ten? In that same top 10 where he talks about don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't lie, he says this in Exodus 34, 21. Six days are set aside for work, but every seventh day you might, you must rest completely. And then he said, for those of you who think that you're, that, you know, you're, you're such an important person, you can't possibly do that, so on church today, you're going to head off and work and do more work. For those of you who think that, he says, even during your seasons of plowing and harvest, this is an agrarian society, you must observe a Sabbath day of rest. Why? Because God, is, God just wants to be tough on you? No, because he loves you, and he knows that your body needs to be rested. So he says, every Sabbath day, you need to have a Sabbath. Even during your busiest season, there is no excuses. The problem is a lot of rest, now listen to this, a lot of stress, a lot of stress in your life and in my life comes from overwork driven by insecurities. Do you hear what I said? A lot of stress in our life comes from overwork driven by insecurities. If I don't do this, it won't get done. Has any of you ever completed everything that you could possibly do with your job, ever? I've been in ministry now for 3,400 years. Now, I don't know how many years I've been, but a long time, you know, 30-some years, 35 years. There's not been one day I left and said there's nothing to do. Not one day. And if I thought I did, I'd go home and some, one of you would call me and I'd find out something else I have to do. You know, you just, it's not going to ever get done. And so the thing is, is we think because if we don't do it, it won't get done. And, and I, better, I better do it. Because the world will not rotate anymore if I don't get that done. I loved it last service, after the service, and I shared this. And one of the ladies went out the door, and I don't know, where, I can't remember where she works, but she was saying, you know, I was going back to the office for a couple hours this afternoon, but I decided I wanted. And I'm going like, good for you. She said, I've been so stressed out at work. I've been working all the time. And she said, you know, what I was going to spend those couple hours doing, it'll be there tomorrow. 
What do, we, what do you do on a Sabbath? It says, he says, observe a Sabbath day of rest. What do you do on a Sabbath? A Sabbath is not a day off. Because if it's a day off, what you think of your do is you go do all the, uh, the guys will do all the honeydew jobs. And girls, you do whatever you do on your day off. We, you don't have any honeydew. I don't know if you have, do you have, women have honeydew jobs? I don't know. But uh, the deal is, that's what you think. No, a Sabbath. What do you do on a Sabbath? The Bible takes, there's so much. And if you want to learn more about this, i got tons of books. I did a long study about four years ago on Sabbath and what God wants us to do on a Sabbath. There's lots to talk about in Scripture. But what do you do on a Sabbath? It can be boiled down to three things. Number one, on the Sabbath, you need to rest your body. You need to rest your body. God says your body needs to be, to be rested. And it's, it's just what he says. You must rest completely. So it starts with your body being rested. You know, you know what that is? For those of you who need it, that's the biblical basis for a nap. So on Sunday afternoons, I really, Sunday is not my Sabbath because I got to work today, okay? And I'm, you know, and so I started this morning at six and, and I'll be finished about, you know, about one and then I'll go home and crash and watch golf or something like that. And my wife said, you know, I, I said, you know, I'm just doing what God tells me to do. So on a Sabbath, you rest your body. Number two, you refocus your spirit. You refocus your spirit. Not only does your body need resting completely, but your spirit needs resting completely. It needs to be recharged in a sense. And, and you know what recharges spirit? One of the reasons you do worship, it's called because you worship. Worship is refocusing your attention on God. And that's why it's important to have an element of worship, whatever it may mean for you. It's not just singing. It can be listening to God's word. It can be you know, anything that causes you to refocus upon God. And the third thing you need to do on a Sabbath is recharge your emotions. Recharge your emotions. And let me tell you something. Everybody is different in regard to what that means. I talked to one guy a while ago. He was going out the door. He'd been to first service. And they were going to Matheson Park this afternoon. There's some kind of festival there. There's a bunch of jazz music and stuff. And I said, that sounds cool. That would recharge my spirit. I'm going, daggone, i got to preach, you know. No, I didn't say that. But uh, it may be getting out in nature. For me, I love, you know, when I lived, when I lived uh, in Virginia, it was out hiking in the mountains here. I, I'll go over and hike, and we'll go, my wife and I will probably find some place to hike today. We might go over to the Washington Trail. We might go over, over, to, over to Forest Park Nature Preserve. We might go up to, if we're real adventurous, we go all the way to like Starved Rock or somewhere like that. I mean, for us, that's what recharges our, our emotions. Whatever it is, different ways to recreate you. Uh, you know, and, and, and we use the term recreation, but that word broken down is recreate. Now, I found this to be true, and this is, this is something I'm going to say. If you're not smart enough to obey God and take a Sabbath off, he'll make you rest. He'll make you rest. Because your body is not designed to go at it every day full, full force. He'll make you rest. Can anybody give a test? No, we don't have to. But, you know, yeah, you know, I've got my body's worn out, just worn out, and you just kind of like, you know, crash. And some people will say, well, but I feel guilty when I relax. Let me tell you something. Does that mean that you're more important than Jesus? Because Jesus took time off. When he was going with his disciples, just read the Gospels. Many times he would say, if he was with a crowd, he'd say, let's get away. Not let's keep working. Let's get away. And he'd go to a place and, and recreate and, 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 and 
rest his body, refocus his spirit, recharge his emotions. There's all kind of there's all kind of um, there's all kind of uh, examples in history. The greatest example of people who who just kind of took it to extreme and didn't uh, didn't believe in, in and abolish the whole thing of of Sabbath was during the French Revolution. During the French Revolution. Uh, the country, they thought, we need to be more productive. And the government says, they said, we need to be pro- more productive. So we're going to abolish Sabbath as a concept. Sunday is a day off. And we're going to work seven days a week. Guess what happened? As a nation, within about a year and a half, their, their health collapsed. And finally, their leaders of the nation, even though they weren't necessarily Christian, the leaders of the nation realized that if we keep going this way, we will have nobody around here. And they reinstated the Sabbath. There was a man that once said to his pastor, he says, you know, I, and I'll read this somewhere, he says, I tried to get in touch with you all day. And it was on a Monday, by the way, it wasn't on a Sunday, it was on a Monday. And, and the pastor's reply to him was this, well, it's my day off. It's my Sabbath, because I can't do it on Sunday. And the guy being the way he was said, well, the devil never, never takes a day off. And the guy replied to him this way, he says, well, yes, and if I didn't, I'd be just like the devil. Maybe that's why some of you are so grumpy sometimes. Because you need to have a Sabbath. God, once again, God puts it in the top ten. He says it's just as important as not murdering, just as important as not um, Committing adultery, it's just as important as not stealing. So write down this, this, my best requires rest. My best requires rest. And I affirming, I must affirm that I'm trusting God, and when I do that, I'm doing it by resting. One of the ways I affirm my trust to God is by resting. God, you're in charge, not me. Number three, if I'm going to uh, reduce my stress, I need to recharge my soul, and you do it with beauty. You're going like, what? Yeah. You ever, have you ever wondered why God made everything so beautiful? I mean, nature's so beautiful. Most places it's beautiful, okay? There are some places in nature that's more beautiful than others. God didn't have to, to make, he didn't have to make the world beautiful, did he? He could have made it like Tatooine. Some of you know what that is. How many of you know what that is? Anybody know what Tatooine is? Yeah, all the Star Wars fans. Where's Tatooine? You can st- tell me. Tell me. It's where Luke Skywalker was raised. It was this desert world. It's a, it's a fantasy world. It's not a real place, by the way. This planet. It was the, uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I looked at it, I'm going like, oh, what a horrible place to be raised at. It was like desert and nothing. It was not any green stuff anywhere. It was like ugly, ugly, ugly. You know, God could have made everything like that if he'd have wanted to, but he didn't. And if you've had the opportunity to travel in some places, you know, I mean, there's beauty around here too. I mean, and people keep asking me, our last service, I totally messed up what I, how I said something, and I'm trying not to say it the same way this service. Um, people keep asking me, he said, you know, they found out I'm from Virginia and I grew up. Uh, you know, in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, and, and the Blue Ridge Mountains were on one side, and the Allegheny Mountains on the other, and the Appalachian Trail was 15 minutes from my house, and the Blue Ridge Parkway was there. And if you've ever been to any of those places, let me tell you something, it is beautiful. I didn't realize how beautiful until I'd moved away. That's where I said it wrong last service, and I said something else. And that, anyway, uh, 
It's just different because the mountain, for me, to me, things that, the mountains and the seashore and things like that are beautiful. You go up to Lake Michigan up on the shore, and it looks just like the ocean. Benton Harbor, I've been up there before in that area, and it's beautiful up there, you know? I mean, here, I go up to, you know, when I want to go across and see beauty, I go over to, I like even the river bluffs around here. There's some places where it kind of feels, for me, beautiful. There's, I guess, I guess cornfields are beautiful, too. I just don't get it. But anyway, the, the deal is, the deal is, it's God has made the world beautiful. And so we need to recharge our soul with beauty. We need to look for beautiful things and look at beautiful scenes. And God says it this way, or David says it this way in Psalm 23, 2 and 3. He says, he makes me, God makes me to recharge my soul. He makes me to lie down in lush green meadows, and he leads me beside calm, quiet waters. He restores my soul. You get the picture there? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but lush green meadows, quiet water. You know what it reminds me of? A really nice golf course. And some of you don't play golf. You know, one of the reasons I play golf is not because I'm so good at it. I'm really not. Dave Maddox can tell me I'm horrible at it. But anyway, um, but the issue is, is it, when I go and, 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 I, and I play golf, they're usually beautiful. It's, it's manicured grass and, and ponds and sand traps, which I find all the time. And, you know, and all these beautiful, it's really a beautiful place. And I enjoy it because it really is kind of, it, for me, it's re recreational in a real sense. But going to places like mountains, I... And so on my, on my screensaver in my office, I, I, what, I don't know what you have on your screensaver, but I have beautiful pictures of beautiful places. Some of my, most of them I've been to. And it reminds me of those and how God, God wants me to recharge my soul with beauty. So many of you, I've heard people say this before, I feel so close to God in nature. Ever said that? I feel so close to God in nature. A lot of you do. Because it's beautiful. In Philippians 4, 4.8, it says this, You'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. See, what you give your attention to will raise or lower your stress. So let me give you some suggestions about focusing on beauty and focusing on things that will, that will, that will help you to recreate your soul. Get outside on a regular basis. If you have to work in an office and you can go out at lunch, just walk and take. And I've been downtown many times and met guys from CAT and places that work in offices all day and office buildings all day. And anytime it's warm, most of them are out there walking, or at least a lot of them are outside walking around. Find, if, if it's nothing more than getting up in the morning and go outside and walk around your back, backyard a little bit, do that. Just, just do something like that. Take up an art or an instrument for stress relief. Express beauty through that. You're going to lie, I'm not artistic. Well, you know, you don't have to paint, you know, like, you know, world-class stuff. Or you don't have to play an instrument like the band. It's amazing what uh, the art and music is, is, is a way of in getting in touch with your emotions. Start your day with God, not the media. Start your day with God, not the media. I mean, focus your attention with God for a few minutes. You know, that's one of the things we're trying to do during this, this Transform series is, and every one of you to have the books, the little books, it's, it's to give you a time each day to start with God. Take it first thing in the day, get up before you do anything else, spend a few minutes. I know some of you need to have, like me, you got to have a shower so you can be semi-lucid. And, and, then, and then sit down and, and, and just spend some time with God. 
not the media. Don't look at your email. Don't look at your text. Don't watch TV, you know, some crazy person in the morning yelling and screaming at each other on TV or something, you know, some of these talk shows or something. Focus on beauty. See, if we want to reduce our stress, what we need to do is you got to recharge your soul with beauty, and you need to affirm, and enjoy, affirm this. I enjoy the beauty God has created. But so often, because we get in this, this rat race we're in, we never do that. Number four. The last few are really quick. Number four, go to God for guidance. Go to God for guidance. A fourth common stress, uh, source of stress is indecision. At a, at a fork in the road so often we get stuck, we get paralyzed. And this is what it says in Psalm 23.3. He guides me in the right path for his namesake. See, we need to make God the number one source of our direction in our life, not others. But so often what we do when we try to make a decision, what do we do? We'll talk to our buddies. Before we ever get God involved in the process, we, need to, we do that. No. God says, I need to be the number one source of direction. And the problem with that is that this. We can go talk to our buddies and get an answer quickly. It may be the wrong answer, but we'll get an answer quickly. And we don't want to be patient because when we ask God, we have to pray, we have to ask, we have to read his word, we have to wait, and then we have to sense what God is doing in the midst of this. And it takes time. In James 1, 5, it says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So we need to affirm, affirm this, God will guide me, but he will do it at the right time if you want to reduce your stress. Number five, I need to trust God in the dark valleys. I need to trust God in the dark valleys. The fifth common source of stress is loss. Now, there's two reactions to loss. Grief and fear. Now listen carefully. Grief is good. Fear is bad. Grief is good because the way we get, grief is the way we get through the transitions of life. If you don't grieve through the transitions of life, you will get stuck. And you won't get, to get on with life the way God wants you to. But fear paralyzes you. You know, the Bible never says one time, don't grieve. But you know what it says about fear? You know how many times it says in the Bible, fear not? 365 times. Hmm, that's kind of strange. One for every day of the year. Fear not. If you don't believe me, go look it up and read them all. Psalm 142.3 says this. When I'm ready to give up, he knows what I should do. When I'm ready to give up, he knows what I should do. No, actually, I forgot to read Psalm 23.4. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But in Psalm 142.3, it says, when I'm ready to give up, he knows what I should do. And so what I have to do is trust God in the dark valleys. I have to affirm, I don't know the answers, but I don't have to know the answers if I know God. Number six, I need to let God be my defender. The sixth common source of stress is opposition or criticism. Let me ask you a question. Is the internet made us more civil or more rude? Come on. I cannot, people say things on the internet now, on Facebook and other places that they would never say to you in person. 
Is that true? We have disagreements, arguments, it's ongoing. I mean, people who don't even know each other get on these, on these things, and they'll say stuff to each other and just be nasty to each other. There's this incredible rudeness. It's because of the, technology has drawn us together from all over the world, and because of that, we feel it's all right just to say anything we want to on there. But the, the fact is, is little people be little people, and great people make people feel great. So what David says in Psalm 23, 5 is, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He's saying, you know, hey, trust in me. And then he says this really clearly in Psalm 18, 1 and 2. He says, How I love you, Lord. You are my defender, my protector, and my strong fortress. In you I am safe. You protect me like a shield. You know where David is writing this? He's in a cave being chased by Saul and his guys. In the midst of that, he's saying, he says to God, he says, God, you are my defender, my protector, my strong fortress, and you I am safe. You protect me like a shield. It takes a lot of faith to rest in God instead of taking matters into your own hands. It also takes humility. We're going to skip over the next verse uh, and go, go to the number seven. Number seven. We need to expect God to finish where he's, what he starts in me. A seventh common source of stress is fear, is fear and fear of the future particularly. Let me ask you, don't raise your hand. Are you, are you a what-if person? A what-if person? You're always thinking about what-if, and it paralyzes you with fear because you're thinking about what could happen, what might happen. And you know that, what, that I forgot the study that 80 some, 87% of what we think might happen never happens. But you're, we're a lot of times fearing the future. We're always expecting the worst. But in Psalm 23, 6, it says, this is the attitude we need to have. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what do you expect from God? What, what, you, you fear the future. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'll never forsake you. I love what it says, and I want to end on this verse. What it says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It's all you who are stressed out and just don't know how to take the next step, and I will give you rest. And then he says this, take my yoke upon you. What in the world is a yoke? It's not part of an egg, okay? It's not what he's talking about here. A yoke in this culture, in this, in this setting, a yoke was a piece of wood that would go across like two oxen or two cattle. And what the yoke did is it helped these two animals to work together to share the load. So one animal didn't have to pull the whole thing, they shared the load. So take the, keep that in your mind. Jesus says, take my yoke, place his yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says that when I am yoked with Christ, we move together in the same direction and at the same speed. Now, if you gather that right now, but you don't have to carry, you were not made to carry everything on your own. God says, be yoked with me. And when you are, I will help share the load. I will help you with your stress. I will help you to do all these things. 
you, but you have to yoke yourself with me. You have to trust in me. And you have to follow what I, my plan is for you. So, I would challenge you this week to, to write a short-term goal in one of these areas we've talked about. Maybe, I mean, there's so many things we, I just kind of blew through this, and I told you I was stressed out because there was so much material, but maybe, maybe just take one on, like maybe to observe a weekly Sabbath. Start there. Do it for three months. You need to develop habits. These are spiritual habits that will help you to be less stressed. But pick something, pick and choose and start somewhere and actually apply it to your life during this time so that God can reduce the stress in your life in such a way that it's manageable. God wants us to, our health is, is important to God, not just our souls. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much this morning for what you have and what you've said to us in our lives. We pray that you would enable us this morning, God, to understand how important it is to, have, to live healthy lives. And God, it's not only what we eat and what we do with exercise, but it's also what eats at us. And so we need to understand that, God, and we need to be aware of those things that stress us out, and, and then we have to, to apply these antidotes that you give us in your word. God, your word is practical, and your word is true. It, your word is always it always directs us in the right way. So help us, God, to understand that. Help us to not live life in such a way that we always live feeling like we're always in charge of everything and have to be responsible for everything. But God, help us to be responsible for just the few things you want us to be responsible for and leave the rest up to you. And in doing so, God, what you do is you'll help reduce the stress in our lives to a manageable area. Thank you, God, for your incredible love. Guide us now as we go our separate ways after we sing together a song of worship to close the day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.